Welcome to The Bill Walton Show, featuring conversations with leaders, entrepreneurs, artists and thinkers. Fresh perspectives on money, culture, politics and human flourishing. Interesting people, interesting things. One of the fascinating things about Donald Trump's economic policies is that they were largely crafted by three of our most famous supply-side economics, uh, men who you would not normally associate with Donald Trump-style <laughs> economic populism. Uh, yet they found a lot of common ground, and the result is what some call Trumponomics. Uh, with me to talk about Trumponomics uh, is one of the co-authors of a recent book appropriately titled Trumponomics. <laughs> My friend Steve Moore is a former member of the Wall Street editorial board and a distinguished visiting fellow at the Heritage Foundation. His co-author, Arthur Laffer, is the father of supply-side mm. economics, who joined me on this show last year. A third author who had to leave the project, <laughs> I say had to leave, took a pretty good job, Larry Kudlow, uh, recently joined the White House as President Trump's chairman of the National Economic Council. Uh, Steve, welcome. Hi, Bill. Hey, good to see you again. You too. So, how did you three end up getting associated <laughs> with the Donald? Well, you know, it, it, it's, it was kind of a meeting that changed uh, history, at least history for me. And that was, uh, you know, about three years ago now, uh, Bill, that you may recall uh, at that time we had something like 16 Republicans ru running for president in late 2015. Everyone from, you know, um, Jeb Bush to uh, Rand Paul to... Um, Marco Rubio and John Kasich and a, hu a huge field of very, very qualified and talented people. And, I, you know, I, I tell the story in the book that, you know, of, of those 16, I think I knew 15 of them. The only one I had never met before was Donald Trump. And I, I had a negative impression of Donald Trump. I didn't I didn't like Donald Trump it, from what I had seen on TV. He seemed like kind of a blowhard. I thought his run for presidency was, frankly, I thought it was just a publicity stunt. And uh, the first chapter of the book yeah. is called Meeting Trump, where uh, you know, we get a call from Corey Lewandowski, who was the original campaign manager for Trump. Sure. And he said, you know, Donald Trump would like to meet with uh, with you and Larry. Arthur had actually already met with Trump. And uh, I'll never forget, we went in uh, to that room, and I came out an hour later with stars in my eyes. I mean, I, I hmm. just, first of all, he's a He's a winner. Donald Trump is a winner. He wins, right? And uh, he had the look of a winner. He had the sound of a winner. Um, and uh, second of all, I mean, he couldn't have been nicer. He couldn't have been more gracious. He couldn't have been more attentive. Certainly, we duked it out on some things. I don't agree with Donald Trump on a lot of things, but on, on the main things about how to grow our economy, how to put America first, how to put American businesses and workers first, I was in full agreement with him. And, and so, you know, he asked us to... Yeah, one of the surprising things about him is he listens. Yeah, you know, that is true. I mean, you walk he in does. and you think you, you're you going to be... Know, he doesn't always agree with you, but yeah. he will listen. He likes to actually... You've been in some of those meetings. He likes to have exchanges of ideas. He's not surrounded, as Obama was, you know, with yes men who would just, you know, say yes to everything that he wanted. And you're, you're a... A former CEO, you know that's a pretty good it's, it's characteristic. A, it, of a good it, CEO. It's unhelpful to have everybody around you exactly. who already agrees with you. Right, and <laughs> you can wander into some know. pretty nasty swamps. Now, uh, <laughs> so we we signed on with him, and it was a hell of a ride. He um, 
you know, I tell the story in the book because Arthur wasn't at that particular meeting that when Trump asked us at the end of the meeting if we would, you know, would ser serve as senior economic advisors for the campaign, we were stunned, you know, and we didn't even know what to say, really. And uh, Larry broke the silence by saying, well, you know, we can't work for you, sir, because, you know, we're for free trade and you're not. And and he said, well, I'm not a, I'm not against free trade. I just want better trade deals and so on. And uh, and then he said something very interesting. He said, look, we can we're not going to probably agree on you know, everything on the trade issue, but I still want your help on these other issues. And I, that impressed me. And and we signed on. It was it was a great time. I mean, one of the things I would just say that's you know, that if you really want to understand America and what makes this country tick uh, outside of Washington, D.C. and New York City, you go out on a campaign and, and we had the time of our life, you know, working with Trump yeah. and just meeting people. That was the other thing, Bill, that really turned me on to Trump is Trump was tapping. The Republican Party was clueless. Yeah. They were clueless. They didn't know what was going on in their own party among their own voters. You know, th there was so much frustration uh, with with. Uh, and that's why Romney lost. He didn't understand the Republican voters and Trump, you know, for uh, and look, again, there are things I don't don't like at all about Donald Trump. But one thing I really do like is he has a finger on the pulse of millions and millions and millions of Americans. But, but since we want to talk about Trumponomics, how did he, I mean, he's not known to read a lot. And I <laughs> right. bet he'd not read your book or Art's book yeah. or Larry's book. Yeah. But he probably watched Larry's show. Yeah. On, on, right. uh, let's see. He watched a lot of TV. Now, how did, yeah. he, how did he end up picking, because a lot of us were very concerned that he, since his background was not particularly political, he didn't, could end up being a political economic liberal. He didn't. How do you think he found the three of you who are exactly, in my view, exactly yeah. the right three people to find well, to thank advise you for him on that. this? I mean, how did um, that, how did that, how well, would you, was it an instinct? Or? I mean, Trump pays very, for his, you know, whole adult life, he's been paying very close attention to American politics, yeah. you know, and policy. And one thing that impressed Arthur and I and, uh, and uh, Larry was that he just, he knew this stuff. You know, he did. He, he, he said, well, you know, when I, when we said we had this dispute with him on trade, he said, okay, you know, maybe we're not going to agree on that, but I want your help writing the tax cut. And he turned to Arthur and said, you wrote the Reagan tax plan. I want you to put something together like that for me. And, and by, by you, know, Friday. We, we, uh, you know, we put a plan together. Uh, you know, one story that I tell in the book that's kind of a fun one is that when we showed him this chart, he does, he likes to look at charts, you know, and things like that. He, and he, he's not going to sit, he's not going to read a 300 page book. And we show him this chart, you know, the U.S. tax rate is way up here and the, uh, in the, you know, uh, rest of the world's down here, and there's a 20% gap here. And we said, this is a 20% Head Start program for all the countries we're competing with. And and Larry said, and therefore, you know, so we're going to recommend to you that you uh, campaign for a 20% business tax rate. And I'll never forget, Trump sits back in his chair and he says, no, I'm not going to do that. And, we, you know, we we're surprised. He said, no. He said, no, I don't want 20%. I want 15. I want 15. Now, the reason that's interesting is that, you know, um, we said, look, Donald, if you want us to sell 15% you know, business tax rate, we'll do that. Uh, every meeting, Bill, from that meeting until we passed the, the law on you know, December 21st of 2017, uh, you know, every meeting from 15, 15, 15, he'd talk to members of Congress, I'm not taking one percentage point over 15. Well, at that last meeting, Mitch McConnell comes in and says, you know, Mr. President, I'm so sorry I failed you. I couldn't get you 15% on that business tax rate, would you take 20%? And Trump said, I'll take that in New York Minute. And I'm convinced <laughs> if, you know, he taught me he knew where Larry to start. something. Yeah, if, was... he had, if he had taken Larry Kudlow's and my advice and started at 
we would have probably ended up at 25, 25. or 26. Yeah, yeah. So he's a great negotiator. <laughs> so he also had the same point of view about economic growth. You came in and said, we think we can get at least 3% economic growth. And he said, no, you're wrong. I went, yeah. He folded five. his hand and he said, went five. five. You know, and that's a great point, Bill, that you mentioned about Trump. As you, You've gotten to know him yourself. Um, there's two things about Trump and Reagan that I think are the same. There are a lot of differences between, and look, I think Ronald Reagan belongs on Mount Rushmore, but I do think there are two things that are in common about the two. Number one, that optimism about America, you know, mm -hmm. you know, and that's where liberals, I think, are so wrong about America. They, they are such declinists and they're so dismal and they're, so, you know, they're, they're dire about the future. Trump is a total optimist about the American potential. I love that about him. And the second thing, by the way, Bill, that is similar about Reagan and uh, Trump is that both of them were always, always underestimated by their opponents. And, you know, remember people say, oh, Reagan's a, a you know, a dummy, and he's just a grade B actor. He doesn't know anything. And they say the same things about Trump, and to their detriment, because both Reagan and Trump were winners. They knew how to win, and um, I find that to be fascinating. About the well, it, that brings us to uh, the question is, that's really at the heart of the book, what is Trumponomics? And there's a great chapter in here, and I'll put the book up for those of you on YouTube can see it, um, Trumponomics Inside the America First Plan to Revive Our Economy. Uh, the chapter is, what, what is Trumponomics? And it's really not a lot about what I think of as what I took in microeconomics or macroeconomics. Mm -hmm. It's more about people. Yeah. And yep, the first yep. one... By the way, this book is not really an economics book, really. Yeah. It's more yeah, of a political... How he came across these ideas and how he did it. It's more of a political science observation. Which, anyway, is, how, which is how economics should be. Exactly. It should be about people and what yep. economics can do for it. them or what bad economics yeah. can do to hurt them. Uh, so, number one, always put America first. Yeah. I mean, is it, Bill, that seems so obvious, right? Yeah. But the left thinks that that's somehow like a racist, you know, uh, bigoted term to put America first. And as Trump is, of course, a president should put America first. Just well, the well, fact is, a lot of our recent presidents haven't put America first. Well, they well, they the believe French, the French, president of, I mean, Barack Obama wanted to be president of the world, not president of the United States. Yeah. And, you know, that was the essence of what Trump was about. By the way, put America well, first. Well, you think about it, you think about it, China would definitely put China first. Yeah, exactly. And uh, France would definitely uh, put France first. Well, you and the list so. is pretty long. <laughs> anyway, and here's the thing that, um, you know, putting America first means, what does that mean? It means every decision Donald Trump makes, it's about how is this going to affect the American worker? How is it going to affect American businesses? One of the reasons he pulled us out of this dingbat Paris Climate Accord thing is it wasn't in America's interest. You know, we were going to pay all the costs. None of these other countries were going to abide by it. The, all the liberals were so indignant that Trump would do something. I said, look, I'm not doing this because it's not in the country's national interest. Well, and your second point is uh, corollary to that is you no longer blame America first. And there <laughs> exactly. are a lot of people who think we're responsible for all the sins of the, of the earth. Yeah. And he doesn't do that. And he understood, I think, a key point, again, that Reagan understood was our key role in the world is to if we get it right in the United States, the rest of the world will exactly. learn from our example. Exactly. When we get it wrong, yeah. the rest of the world gets it wrong. That happened to Reagan. I think Trump, because he's rebuilt the American economy, you know what's happening? All these other countries are looking at how'd they do that? You know, how how come we're booming and the rest of the world's, you know, slinking? And so that it doesn't mean that somehow like economics is not a zero sum game. It doesn't mean just because we get richer, the rest of the world gets richer. No, it's poor. especially not we a zero sum game. Yeah. yeah, it's a growth game. Yeah. 
And your, your third point is, a, is one that I think is incredibly <coughs> important, is empower, and this gets back to the people, empower Americans to make decisions for themselves. Yes. Yep. Isn't and that? I mean, again, is, how is that even a, controversial? A, well, <laughs> right. the, you know, the left doesn't believe you of can make health care decisions, education decisions, right. whatever, and you believe that we can. And it's he not does. that I do. It's okay, that Donald does. Trump does. Okay. And, you know, the you raised the perfect example of that. Donald Trump, you know, the left loves to call him a racist and, you know, bigot, bigoted and so on. Wait yeah. a minute. This is a guy who wants to give five million minority kids blacks, mostly blacks and Hispanics, 90% of them would be blacks and Hispanics, a voucher so they can send their kid to any school that they want to. Yeah. I mean, that would be revolutionary. I, I can't think of anything. Even I'm a big tax cut guy. I don't think there'd be anything that would help the American economy in the future more than that program. And the left is totally rebelled against that because they want the elites to decide where, ki where kids go to school, not the parents. You know, in all the conversations I've had with people on this show, but we always end up leading back into, well, what's the fundamental solution? It's good education. Right? <laughs> Absolutely. So. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, and uh, obviously, point five, secure and protect our borders. Uh, <laughs> That that's much, that's much in right. the news. And we're now. having a little dispute about that right <laughs> a little now. Disagreement. <laughs> By the way, I think Trump is going to win that fight. I mean, the, you, know, you know, I'm a very pro-immigration person. I think Trump is generally very pro-immigration too, but it's got to be legal. You know, it's got to be through an orderly, legal, lawful process. And this idea that anybody can just come in, if you can get across the border, you could, you know, as Trump likes to say, a country without a border is not a country. Well, immigration smart immigration that's based on attributes, based on skills, based on education, based yep. on whether you're bringing any wealth into the country, that yes, kind of thing. Absolutely. That could do an awful lot to uh, to help every American. Oh, hell, uh, yeah, you know, I think there's no question. I mean, that's why I want to get... So it's, I wanna, it, I it, still, it's not a nativist thing. It's a, it's, it's an attribute. It's a putting America first. And, and by the way, you know, uh, I used to tell Trump, you know, build the wall. You know, I'm in favor of your building this wall, but I used to tell him, Make sure it has big gates so people can come in legally, you know, through lawful. Did channel. he hear that? Do you believe he? he he's, is I that think he part does. of I his? I think he wants to move towards because we're system. not we're not hearing that. No, I wish he would talk more about it. You know, there if are he some believes people it, in we should, camp we, who people are, should hear it. Yeah, I mean, because that's look, immigration is is one of the great attributes of the United States. We do get the best and brightest and hardest working people from all over the world. They have to come orderly in an orderly fashion. And I've been convinced that uh, Trump convinced me of this. You're not going to get, we haven't reformed our immigration system in something like 35 years, you no. know, so it's antiquated. Let's get the border secure. Then I think the American people would be very open-minded to a system where we let more people in for agriculture workers, service workers, high technology workers, people want to come and build a better life. You know, he, my only he, position on this is, and I think Trump would generally agree with this, immigration, yes, but welfare, no. You can't come into this country and go on food stamps. You and, can have one, but you can't have both. Yeah. You can't have an open-ended right. entitlement system and open exactly. borders otherwise. Well, I don't think he emphasizes that enough. I think he's I wish doing he would. A, I, I think he's, he really... Because, you know, one of the problems <clears throat> we have with the economy right now, Bill, I mean, is the constraint... To, we're growing, I'm very proud of the fact that for 2018, we grew the economy. I think the final number will be about 3.25%. Obama never got anywhere near that in eight years. And all these liberal economists said, oh, it's impossible. Larry Summers and Paul Krugman... He, Donald Trump is lying to the American people. He can't get to 3% growth. Guess what? In his second year in office, we got to 3% growth. Um, could we get to 4 and 5? I think one of the constraints is, do we have enough workers to, to provide that money? Well, I was going to I was gonna yeah. jump to that later. Let me okay. jump to it now. One of the, thing, one of the pieces written somebody who uh, 
is a pretty smart guy. I can't remember who it was. He said there are three factors in economic growth. There's there's the labor supply. Yep. Um, there's uh, productivity. Yes. How much that labor is used yeah, to produce exactly. things. And then the third piece is there's an innovation. intangible called innovation. Yes. And they're very, the pessimists say, well, you can't change labor supply. Right. You can't change uh, innovation. You can't change yeah. uh, what was the third point? That I Inno they, uh, productivity. They productivity. Say. And they're a hundred percent wrong about that. I mean, that's why we told Trump we can get you to three to four percent growth, and he'd say, "I want five. Uh, you know, you productivity. I, I believe, you know, this gets to the Trump optimism because I believe this. Is, he believes this as well. <laughs> We're in the beginning stages of a of a productivity boom like we've never seen. I mean, the digital age is just getting going. And that's going to lead to massive improvements in terms of productivity, robotics, artificial intelligence, or, you know, driverless cars, all of this stuff is going to change the economy in a radical way. All you have to do is just get the government out of the way. And Trump is doing that through his, through his deregulation policies. So that's the productivity piece. And the population, the pessimists say we've got an aging population. Yeah. The answer is what we just talked about, smart immigration. Smart, number one, smart immigration. Number two, look, we still have 10 million Americans. Remember, under Obama, America's left the labor force, yeah. right? And we estimate there's 10 million able-bodied, you know, Americans within that, in that, you know, age group between 20 and 65 that could be and should be working. And as you provide a more prosperous economy, we think we're going to push them into the into now, the workforce. Now we're the beginning of 2019. Is that turning around? Are more people coming back into uh, the yeah, labor force? Yeah, not as quickly as I'd like to see. Yeah. Uh, but you know that labor. What we this is what we call the, the labor force participation rate. Yeah. It went way down under Obama. It was like 60, way down. It went yeah. from 68 to 63. Something yeah, like that. It was I, huge decline. Roughly. And then yeah. and now it's starting to climb up again. And by the way, this is one of the things we always told Trump is look, he cares. The one thing people have to understand about Donald Trump. You know what he cares about? Those blue-collar workers who voted for him mm -hmm. in Michigan, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, West Virginia, Kentucky. And those were the people, this is where the left and the right just disconnect. The left doesn't understand the Trump voters. These are people who, you know, when I go to places like West Virginia or Kentucky or Michigan with Trump, and I enjoyed it so much, just meeting people, and I'd say, how's that Obama recovery going for you? You know what they'd say? What recovery are you talking about? There's mm -hmm. no recovery here in... Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, or Flint, Michigan, or Rockford, Illinois. There's no, re what do you, there's no recovery. The factories are leaving. Trump spoke to those voters, and those are the people he cares about, which means he wants, A, to restore the jobs. I'm very proud of the fact, I know he is, we've created one million new manufacturing, construction, and mining jobs in two years. Those were declining under Obama. They're back. We're making things again. So which, 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 which industries has he created manufacturing jobs in? You mean well, all everything, auto jobs, chemical but, but, jobs. But, but, but I, I think the answer though is that they're new type manufacturing jobs. It's not like people are returning to the steel Great mills point. necessarily. It's not. It's, it's new it's, manufacturing. It's, it's new styles, twenty yeah, yeah. first century like style. Even steel, you know, we're, we are, we have fabricated steel now. We, the, we the, these are not the jobs that their, their grandfathers. You're had. so right about that. You know, in fact, you go into. I was just in Detroit, and I went to some of the, you know, modern, um, you know. Uh, auto factories. I remember when I was a kid, my, when I was like 12 years old in 1972, my kids, my parents took me to the auto fa Those were sweatshops back then. You yeah. go to the current fa fa you know, factories, there are people walking around with diagnostic equipment, with, with uh, you know, white coats on. And, and uh, you're right, it's, they're not sweatshops anymore. And they're highly paid. 
highly paid workers. Well, that's another thing I think he could do a better job articulating is we're not, this is not a return to 1956. This right. is something that's, that's different. We're really talking about Well, but the, I'll give one example, though, where we are <coughs> coal mining. You know, Hillary Clinton ran around the country saying, I'm going to put every coal miner in America out of a job. Yeah. You know, and then she's, well, gee, how did I lose West Virginia and Ohio and Virginia, you know, states like that? Because, you know, that people don't like that too much. And we've, we've rebuilt the coal mining industry. We've rebuilt the oil and gas industry. I mean, that's a Huge part of Trump's agenda is to make America number one in energy. And Bill, three we, three months ago, uh, the Wall Street Journal had a piece saying that for the first time in 50 years, the United States is now producing more oil and gas than we're consuming. Well, this is, I've, I've, I'm going to skip a couple of your points. I want to come back to one, but I want to get to your, your 10th point in okay. Trumponomics, which is growth is everything. That's the core of, that's the core of, I think, what Trumponomics is about, that Almost, I'm trying to think, there's maybe a few exceptions, but virtually every socioeconomic problem we have in this country, whether it's drug abuse, whether it's poverty, income inequality, low wages, um, you know, whatever the, uh, the budget deficit and the debt, all of those problems are so, made so more easily solved if you have economic growth. Economic growth is a precondition to solving these problems. And it's bringing hope, you know, drug abuse. Drug abuse is happening in a lot of these middle-class towns across America because people feel hopeless in their life. You create a burgeoning economy with a lot of jobs and a lot of opportunity, people will turn away from drugs and they'll get into the labor force and they'll work. Well, one of the one of the conservative complaints about President Trump... One of them? There's so in, many. <laughs> well, yeah. well, let me count the ways. Uh, entitlements. Yeah. Social yeah. Security, Medicare. He came in saying, I'm right. not going to touch him. Yes. And some of us think that's a problem, yeah. yet you say I, th I think it was brilliant. I think growth. if Donald Trump had, had run like Romney and— He wouldn't have know, been elected. He, he would not have won. No. And it was smart politics. were so furious no, with I know it's smart politics, yeah. but is it smart economics? Well, look, you can't get—the things that we've done in two years— I say we because I'm on his economic advisory board— I'm completely proud of. I mean, we've turned around the American economy. We've been the fastest growing economy in the world today. We've seen, um, you know, this, we're out of this rut that we took over one and a half percent growth. Now we're growing at 3%. Um, we couldn't have done any of these things if, if Donald Trump had not won the election. And I would say that if he had, if he had said, I'm going to, you know, cut Medicare and Social Security benefits, he would not have won. And we, you know, even Bill Clinton, who was a, oftentimes a wise guy, said, look, you can't do anything in American politics if you don't win in the elections. And so, uh, you know, ultimately, do we have to reform these things? Of course we do. But show me, Bill, show me one single Democrat. Seriously, one single Democrat. I think they've got 30 now that want to run for president. Do any of them talk about reforming these programs? Well, and now, that <laughs> I, now that I'm on Medicare, okay. don't touch it. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, right. <laughs> no, but you have an economic argument. Yeah. I think you or somebody associated with argument. you made the economic argument that if you can get economic growth averaging 3.3% for 20, 30 years, we can grow our way out of the entitlement. Yeah, deficit. no, that's not to say we shouldn't fix them. I mean, these are old-fashioned yeah. programs. We should, you and I have talked about this many times over the years, Bill. I mean, it's obvious that every young person should just be getting a 401k plan. You know, we should just treat Social Security, you just put your money into a account that you personally own yeah. and you let that money rise in the stock market and our your kids and my kids uh, and our grandkids will be pension millionaires. They'll get 
benefits that are three times higher than Social Security. That's one of my problems with sometimes people on the right. They say we should be cutting Social Security benefits. No, we shouldn't be cutting. The problem with Social Security is that the benefits are too large. They're too small. You know, you you've worked your whole life and put in Social Security. Can you imagine how much money you'd be getting in Social Security today if you'd been able to invest that money? I really I mean, don't. I getting, really don't want to do that calculation. <laughs> you'd be getting five <laughs> times as much money. And, and think about the average person. So there are certainly ways we should reform these programs, but there, I don't think that the political system is ready for that yet. Now you you three took a lot of heat for supporting oh my God. Trump. I mean, this was. I've got the scars on my back. You want to see them? <laughs> well, for YouTube, no, we did or... take a lot of grief. You know, yeah. from. Uh, we, we were seen as traitors. We were seen as unprincipled people. Even to this day, some of the never Trumpers in the Republican Party, you know, say that. And, you know, my view was, number one, he gets most of it right. We called him out when we thought he was wrong um, on things like, you know, his some of his trade protectionist policies. I will say, you know, I've been praising Trump. I think his steel and auto tariffs bill are a disaster. I think yeah. they're counterproductive. They're not even... I know his heart is in the right place. He wants to save jobs, and those, but it's not working. We're actually losing is, jobs because but is, of those. But tariffs. is the is the is the happy? We talk about politics. Is the happy answer? This is a this is a lead to get something else, and when he gets at something else, these tariffs goes away. Well, you know, I think the big big issue for our country right now, yeah, that the overhang on the economy, and I would make even the case that Trump has rolled his dice, uh, rolled the dice, and staked his whole presidency on getting a new trade deal done with China. China is a bad actor. Yeah, they are, yeah, they yeah. are uh, we're in an, the way I like to put it, we're in an abusive relationship with China. China <laughs> has been taking advantage of us. They steal, they cheat, now they lie. We know there's espionage. You saw the hacking stories. I mean, this is, a, this is a, the new Soviet Union we're up against. And by the way, God bless Donald Trump for being the first presidential candidate a long time to recognize that and call them out for this. But it's a new Soviet Union run by 145 IQ engineers. Yeah, I mean, exactly. What they've done, what they've done even to, a bigger threat. What they've done to build their leadership in China is astonishing. It is. And the, uh, the problem is, in the last 10 years, they've moved away from freedom and become much more mercantilistic, militaristic. They're, they're a threat. And Trump has basically said, we're, we're going to take the kick me sign off the United States. You're going to start playing by the rules. We're going to hurt you. And um, we'll see how that turns and, out. And, I, and, I'm and optimistic, the... Bill, that Trump is going to prevail here. Yeah. Because China, as Trump is, used to say to us all the time, we, if we can't trade with China, we, we, you know, we catch pneumonia. I mean, we sneeze. If they can't trade with us, they're going to catch pneumonia. So he's got the leverage, and I think he's going to win. I've got a lot to talk to you okay. about, about Trumponomics. Yeah. This is a highly recommended book. Uh, of course, I like to think I don't have people on here unless I think their books are wonderful. This is this is a Thank great you. explanation of uh, of why this is working, uh, but not everything is working. I mean, the trade deficit is still high, highest it's been in the last ten years. Mm -hmm. So his nominal objective of reducing the trade debt, that's not happening. We you know we used to tell him you know we said. Uh, if your economic program works, the trade deficit is going to go up. It's not going to go down because you're going to make America more prosperous. Americans are going to have higher salaries. They're going to have more money to spend. Guess what? They're going to go Walmart and they're going to buy more things from China and, I, you know, from I, Japan I, I, and so I on. I have an assignment for you. Pardon? I have an assignment for you. Okay. Can you make him understand that? I've tried. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I can. He's, uh, he's hyper-obsessed about the trade deficit. Um, you know, we, we have a chart in the book that shows that, you know, when the um, economy booms— the trade deficit goes up, and when the economy goes into recession, the <coughs> trade deficit goes down. So we used to only half-kiddingly said, Donald, if you want to get rid of the, well, we now call him Mr. President, but Mr. President, if you want to get rid of the trade deficit, 
you know, uh, have a good long recession. That, that'll get rid of the trade deficit. But we, of course, we don't want that. Now, one thing that's not much in the book, but I do want to talk about, you wrote a piece recently last week called Fire the Fed. Yeah. And the Federal Reserve, Federal Reserve, you believe is sort of take, well, anyway, explain your position about well, why we, we didn't want to cover fire it the in Fed. the book because it wasn't really a major issue at the time, the yeah. monetary policy. And, you know, uh, I'm a believer that the Fed should have one goal and one mission and one mission only, and that is to create a stable price system. You know, it's, it gets to why we have a monetary policy. We have a monetary policy. We have a dollar policy so that the dollars that you have in your wallet right now will be worth five and 10 years from now, pretty much what they're worth today. You want, uh, we have a currency because it's a means of exchange and a store of value. And what's happened is that we created this growth um, agenda, lower taxes, less regulation, promote American energy and American businesses, all these things. So they're creating this huge economic revival in the United States. We're increasing our output and wages are finally starting to rise. You can, you can sense the frustration in my voice. And we finally got everything cooking. Great growth, low unemployment, lowest unemployment rate in 50 years, no inflation, you know, just like the perfect economy. What is it that the Fed is trying to fix here? You know, just leave it alone. And by the way, Trump, the populace, got this. As soon as the Fed started raising interest rates, they said, wait a minute, this is going to suck the oxygen on the economy. And it, that's been the case. Since the Fed started raising rates in September of 2018, between September and December, they were those two rate increases. The Dow lost three thousand points. Maybe they should get a clue that they're not doing the right thing here. Well, you've got three thousand PhD monetary economists, and they're the idiots. Fed. No, I mean this. This is elitism, right? <laughs> oh I yeah. Mean, you all you need. You know, all you need is a computer. What what I advocate in that piece is fire the Fed, and just all the Fed has to do is follow the commodity price index, well, just, 38 commodities, well, and just, just follow just, those. Just to review how much mission creep has occurred at the Fed, we've got now maintained stable money, although they consider that 2% inflation. Right. Which is know, fine, 2%. Well, I mean, I could live with that. I, I don't think that's stable money, but that's just okay. me. Jobs, yes. economic growth. By the way, stop, stop right there, Bill. The Fed can't create jobs? I know that. I mean, it's so stupid, <laughs> right? I mean, how, I mean, you know that, but they don't know that. You know, Larry Kudlow says this very well. You know, the Fed can print money, but it can't print jobs. The Printing money is not the way you create prosperity. Sorry to interrupt, but it just it irritates me. Well, I, people no, say that. I agree. I'm just telling <laughs> no. you that. You know, that's what they believe, that their objective is. Now, the way they can create jobs, by the way, in a healthy labor market is to keep prices stable. And my problem is prices are not stable right now. If you look at commodities, steel, wheat, cotton, soybeans, copper, Gold, silver, you know, these kinds of, they're falling in price. When you have falling commodity prices, hello, that means you've got deflation. There's not enough dollars in the economy. The Fed should be lowering interest rates now, not raising them. Well, the Fed's worried about a recession. But and if they're in, but even there, okay, if well, they're worried I, about a recession, I got a statistic, though, that some people have I looked so at this. I am so damn angry at these people. You know, we're in the midst of watching the, the stock market fluctuate up and down. And, but the and, Fed is causing the very turmoil that they say they're trying to solve. Well, can I violently agree with you? <laughs> Please. Uh, <laughs> you know, the the, the, the the stock market, evidently, according to people who study this, has correctly predicted on average like five out of the last nine recessions. Right. So you follow the stock market, yeah. uh, you can get a sense of whether we actually are following yeah. it. Because you get yeah. millions of people investing and they're looking at individual companies and they're looking at shipment data and profits of and course. blah, 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 blah. And those people, 
This is the arrogance they're in the real of the economy. Fed. They're but, in the real economy. These yeah, people making exactly these, yeah. this idea that these three thousand economists at the Fed can make better decisions about the economy than the millions of actors that are making decisions every day is, on the face of it, absurd. But it's all about what liberalism is about. Liberals believe they are smarter than the than the market is. Well, how many recessions has the Fed correctly predicted in its last 105 years? I don't know how many of those they've predicted, but I, w I would say at least three of the last five recessions were caused by the Fed. Well, they You and I are old enough to remember hyperinflation in the 1970s. Yeah. Remember? That was the Fed. The Fed just keep cutting you know, rates and putting money out of the economy, and it created that's, you know, 15% inflation. That's when I was a lender at a commercial bank, and I was charging <laughs> borrowers 20% interest. I remember that. It was crazy. I remember that. Um, well, anyway, well, how did the, that the happen? Answer, the answer how to that question, How did that inflation happen? The answer, because of the Fed. The, because of the Fed, but the answer to the question, how many they predicted? Zero. Wow. Like wow. In, in 2007, 2008, they were predicting, 2008, they were predicting 2.3% growth. And they were the ones who inflated the bubble in the housing market that caused this crash. Yeah. So we're going to need to write another book about the Fed because <laughs> we, yeah. we've accomplished a lot on the, it's, on here's the, my on the fiscal side. Yeah, but yeah. This is the frustration. I feel like everything we've done, you know, with few exceptions, has worked. Everybody said, oh, you can't get to 3% growth. We got it. You can't create, you know, more manufacturing jobs. We've done it. You can't get wages up. We've done it. We're doing all these things. We're creating this prosperous economy. And the Fed is, here's my problem. They believe there's a limit to growth and that if growth gets too high, that that causes inflation. Well, Art Laffer says this so well in the book. Bill, it's very simple. I'm going to keep economics very simple. If the economy produces more apples, the price of apples goes down. It doesn't go up, right? If you have an increase in supply, prices go down. But the Fed believes that growth causes inflation. It's completely wrong. Okay, I think the next... I <laughs> right? Think the, I, I mean, I think, I think, am, I, am I missing something? I think the next rule for you three is to spend some time at the Fed. Gosh. <laughs> so let's... let's uh, Let's summarize. We haven't covered much of all that I wanted to cover, <laughs> but let's get to the future. We're now, in, he's entering his third year of his uh, presidency. Forgetting the political stuff that's going yeah. on, what do you see happening in the next year or two? Economic? Everything's going to be, this 2019 is going to be all about the trade war with China. I really believe it's the, it's the huge overhang about the economy. He's got to win here. Trump will, uh, at the time that we're sitting down right now, which is, what was it, January 3rd, 2019, we, we don't know, I think there's like 40 or 50 days left that Trump has given the Chinese a 90-day deadline to come up, you know, yeah, with yeah. meet his conditions. I'll, I'll tell you this. If they don't come up with a deal, he's going to slap them with those 25% tariffs. He ain't bluffing here. I know mm -hmm. Donald Trump. He doesn't bluff. And that here's the story that nobody in the media is reporting. Do you know how much what's happened to the Chinese stock market in 2018? It's cratered. 30% down. Yeah, it's, it's down a, 30%. From its high, it's fallen further than any other yeah, market, I exactly. believe. Exactly. Yeah. So they're getting crushed by these. You know, this is Trump is, I love watching him because he's a master negotiator. He really is. And he understands the concept, as you do, having been a CEO, of leverage. We have leverage over China. He's using that leverage now to get a deal. I think, I think at the end of the day, you can write this down, I think China will capitulate. They will start to make some real concessions, which, by the way, are in their own interest. Yes, they should buy more of our products. Yes, they should stop stealing our intellectual property. Yes, they should you know, stop arming the North Koreans, all of these things. And if Trump can get a deal there, Bill— I think you're, you think the economy's strong now. Wait till he gets a good trade deal with China. Hmm. Steve? I'm optimistic. 
I know. I mean, our laugher is my co-author. How could I not be optimistic on this stuff? Well, you, I, I think you have reasons to be optimistic, <laughs> and I hope I, I agree. China's 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 the pivot point. Yeah, this, it is uh, for the next year. Uh, Trumponomics, author Stephen Moore, Arthur B. Laughter, Ph.D., father of supply-side economics. <laughs> I wholeheartedly re recommend this, and Steve, I'm looking forward, forward to Forward by Larry Kudlow, the most forward. important economist in, I'd say he's the most ac important economist in the world today, Larry Kudlow. How cool is that? That's very cool. Because <laughs> <laughs> we were pushing to get him in all you along. You got it. Uh, very cool outcome. Well, Steve, thank I'll you for all you time. did. I mean, you were part of the economic transition that put a lot of these great people in those jobs. And, you know, it's people are one of the great things Trump has done is put really good people in a lot of these positions, uh, you know, who, who agree with them on on deregulating, lowering taxes, getting rid of the barriers. And, and it's this is what Trumponomics is all about, getting government out of the way so private biz, American businesses can succeed and win. Well, in the economic point, we need to wrap up. I'm really happy that he brought in the OMB director to be chief of staff in the White House. I am, too. I think he's got— the, Mulvaney is fantastic. I think he's got the grit to do it, and he Me understands too. economics. So that's a, that's a reason. Another and he's got to be able to say no to Trump. You know, I called Mulvaney. I said, because, like, I love Mulvaney—I mean, Donald Trump, but he needs guardrails. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah, and I yeah. hope Mulvaney—if Mulvaney can do that, Trump will be a big success. Okay. Final word. Steve, thanks. Thank See you, you again. Thanks for joining. And uh, we'll, we'll be back next week with a show about uh, China. Thanks for listening. Want more? Be sure to subscribe at thebillwaltonshow.com or on iTunes. Amazon is hiring near you. Earn a competitive wage and start as soon as seven days. No resume or experience required. Health and safety are a top priority with all of our roles and sites. Amazon is taking precautions in our buildings to keep people healthy. Go to Amazon.com slash apply. That's Amazon.com slash apply. Amazon is an equal opportunity employer.